Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to today's guest speaker, Chris Dew, for this week's message. What is up, Vineyard Church family? How are you? Uh, I'm glad to be back with you. I've had some incredible things happen over the past few months. I had a little girl. Uh, her name is Evelyn Joy. Uh, I am. I haven't slept a whole lot. I'll be honest with you in the past eight weeks or so since she was born. But, man, we are learning how to be parents. Pray for us. Uh, pray for my wife. Pray for our sleep, uh, but man, I, I'm so excited to be here with you again. Um, let's pray, and then uh, we're going to hop in uh, to Mark chapter 8. If you have a Bible, you can flip there already, but let's pray first, and then we'll jump into the Scripture. King Jesus, this is about you. Church is about you. Your scripture is about you. And I pray right now, King Jesus, that you would bring clarity of who you are. That the ways uh, that we have viewed you uh, over the course of our lives, uh, you know, that are inaccurate, how would you cast those out right now and bring clarity of who you are? Draw people to yourself. We love you and we worship you now, King Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Men. I don't know about you guys, uh, but how I am emotionally is like a roller coaster. Like I have high highs and low lows. Uh, you know, there's times where I just, I just wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a new day. The birds are chirping. There's flowers. It's amazing. And then there's other times I wake up and I'm like, I need three cups of coffee. I've been screamed at by a child, right? Like I, I, just, I just have these high highs and low lows. And if I'm honest, I think that's also true in my spiritual life as well. There's times in my spiritual life where I feel like I'm kind of killing it. It's like, man, I, 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 I love Jesus today. I'm in the word, I'm praying, I'm serving people, I'm doing that. And then there's other times in my spiritual life, I just feel like I'm not, I'm not really killing it. And I think all of us have had experiences like that. But in our story that we're going to read here this morning, Peter has an experience like that where it's the highest high and the lowest low. And all of our experiences pale in comparison with his here. I love this scripture. It is, uh, it's, it's amazing. So let's, so let's all I just kind of read it together um, in chapter 8, verse 22. Seven. It says, And Jesus went on with his followers to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And then he asked them, This is our key question here this morning. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone about him. That's a good day for Peter, 
right? Like I've never had a day like that where Jesus is standing in front of me in the flesh. He says, who do people say that I am? And you rattle off all these things that are incorrect. And then he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. That's a good, that is a high, high spiritually. But then it gets terrible. Let's uh, keep reading. Um, and he began uh, to teach them uh, that he must suffer many things and to be rejected all by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Yet after three days, he will rise again. And he explained this plainly to them. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Just want to throw this out there. Don't rebuke Jesus. Bad idea. Not good to rebuke Jesus ever. Uh, but he turned, saw the disciples, and he rebuked Peter. And he said, you get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, yet on the things of man. I just want to throw this out there. If Jesus calls you Satan, that's a bad day. I don't care how high that spiritual high was before. If Jesus calls you Satan in front of your boys, that's a bad day, right? He goes from you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, rightly answers this into Jesus, you, you can't say those things. And he rebukes him and gets called Satan. That's a bad day. Uh, the scripture that we just read is the key text in this entire gospel. That all the way from the start of this thing until now, that uh, Christ and his closest followers have been slowly moving away from uh, uh, Jerusalem. They have this conversation in a place called Caesarea Philippi. And this was a place of pagan worship. It's like Sketchville City, right? Like it, it, it's the worst place. Uh, there's hardly any people that love Jesus there. Like it is Sketch City, but he chooses to have this conversation there. Uh, but from this conversation on, they slowly start turning towards a Jerusalem and eventually Christ is killed. So clearly, uh, the author wants us... Uh, to understand that this is the key text in the entire book. And ultimately the question it's trying to answer is this, who is this Jesus? All the way through the opening eight chapters, they've asked this question. Every time there's a healing, they're like, who is this man? Every time he teaches something with authority, they're like, who is this man? And every time that he um, hangs out with outcasts, they ask, who is this man? And here's the question I want to try to answer here this morning is, who is this Jesus? All through history and even right now, we see that people have argued over this, right? They've had this view or that view and people have literally argued and screamed at each other over this question, who is this Jesus. And how we answer this question will have a profound impact on our lives and how others view Jesus as well. So I want to go through uh, 
four views of Jesus uh, that I believe are in this scripture uh, that were present at the time Jesus lived and are still present in our age in 2021. Here's view number one. Who is this Jesus? Well, he's important, yet he's pretty much irrelevant to me. He's important, but he's pretty much irrelevant to me. And this is how I lived for 20-ish years of my life, that I knew about Jesus. I had heard about Jesus. I'd heard the stories about Jesus. I knew he was an important guy. We had Christmas, for God's sakes, right? We had Easter. I got presents. It was incredible, right? We had Easter eggs. Like, I knew he was important. But if you looked at my life, you would see that he was pretty much irrelevant to me. And this is what we see in this scripture, right? He asks them, who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, well, you, I mean, like you're a prophet. You're an important dude. And ultimately, this is what we do all the time in our age as well, that you're a good teacher or you're like one of the prophets, yet you're really not that important personally to me. If you look at my life, if you look at how I spend my time, spend my money, Jesus is not really a factor in that. And this is cultural Christianity, right? It's, hey, I'm at church on Sunday, yet if you look at the rest of my life, you would see that I, that he's pretty much irrelevant to me. Yet if you look at the claims of Jesus, he claimed he was God he claimed he was the king of the universe. And therefore, as we've talked about this whole sermon series, he's either a liar, right? He knew he wasn't God, but he claimed he was. He's a lunatic. He actually thought he was God, yet he actually wasn't. Or he's actually Lord. You can't say that Jesus is just a good teacher. He claimed he was God. If he was lying, he wouldn't be a good teacher. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. Well, if he isn't just important yet irrelevant to me, then who, who is this Jesus? Here's view number two. He's harmful, repressive, and maybe even oppressive. He's harmful and oppressive. He's bad for culture. He's bad for society, right? And this is what we see in his life as well, that lots of people viewed him as harmful. He was not helping culture. He was not helping things. He wasn't a good teacher. He was harmful. He was oppressive, right? You see this from the uh, religious elite and also the Roman elite, right? He was claiming he was God. Therefore, all the Sanhedrin and all the religious people were like, man, he, he's harmful to the temple. He's harmful to the status quo of our religious system. But also the Roman leaders. He was claiming he was king, right? So therefore, he was trying to overthrow the power structures is what they thought in their mind. Caesar is king. And here's the thing. If Jesus is claiming he's king, that is hostile to our culture. He's not helpful. He's not irrelevant. He's literally harmful. And if we're honest, I think here in America, that for hundreds of years, this hasn't really been um, the core view of how people view Jesus. I mean, we've kind of viewed 
Christians and 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 Christ even as as man like I don't believe that stuff yet they're kind of helping society on planes and stuff man I used to get on planes and they'd ask me hey like who are you what do you do and I'd say I'm a pastor and they'd be like, oh thank you so much for you know all that you do but now I get on planes and they're like hey who are you what do you do I'm like I'm a pastor they're like Ugh, why why in the world would you do that because increasingly more and more that Christ and Christians and his teachings are viewed in conflict with the cultural currents. And Christians are becoming viewed as harmful and even oppressive. Um, I heard this phrase the other day that I think explains this well. It's called chronological snobbery. I mean, ultimately what that means is that if you look at history, that you think that we're the smartest people that have ever lived, right? So we don't need to look at the past. We know, right? It's like, I think we are the, uh, the more enlightened ones and, and stuff like this. Yet, if we take a humble look at history, uh, that I think what we'd see is that the teachings of Jesus have actually helped culture and haven't hurt it, right? You look at colleges, hospitals, orphanages, the, uh, the women's rights, all, all kinds of different things. The civil rights movements all were started or a result of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, there's absolutely been some blemishes um, in history. Uh, that happen when people twist the teachings of Jesus in order to oppress others. Yet overall, followers of Jesus have helped culture at large. So who is this Jesus? If he isn't just important yet irrelevant, if he isn't harmful and oppressive, and here's view number three, is that he is merely a means to a political end. He is merely a means to a political end. A lot of people, as they read the Old Testament, uh, they clearly saw that a Christ was coming, right? They were looking forward to this, uh, but they expected him uh, to have an army that he raised up and to overthrow the Roman oppression. This is what they expected, is that a Christ was gonna come, he was gonna overthrow the oppression that they were currently experiencing, and he was gonna free Israel by political force and an army. And this is honestly where Peter is still in our scripture here, right? He says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the one we've been waiting on, you're the one the Old Testament has prophesied about, except then when Jesus starts to explain what he came to do, I came to be killed. Peter pulls him aside and says, no, 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 that, that, that's not the Messiah that we're looking for. If you're going to overthrow Roman oppression, you're not going to die. You're going to take over, right? We're going to have an army. We're going to do all these things. Um, and I think this is also why Peter slices off the guy's ear, right? He's like, uh, that when they're praying in the garden and the people come to arrest Jesus, Peter's like, oh no, 
Oh no, the Christ is not going to be arrested. He's going to overthrow Roman oppression. Let's, let's take it by force. He slices off the guy's ear. But what does Jesus do there? He picks up the guy's ear and he puts it on him again. And always, I've kind of looked at, where is it, verse 30 here. And I've always wondered, why did he tell him to tell no one about him? Like, isn't the point of Christianity that we spread the gospel, that we talk about Jesus? And I think this is why, because he knew they were going to miss it. He knew that if they went out proclaiming, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the Messiah, that lots of people are going to think, well, he's going to overthrow Roman oppression. He's going to take it by force. It's an army type of mindset. He knew they were going to miss it. And that's why he told him, hey, please don't tell anyone yet until I'm resurrected and you understand what I came to actually do. And ultimately, the result of this type of thinking in our day and age is that we try to win a culture war, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yet we slowly start viewing people that we're called to love as an enemy that we hate. We slowly move away from the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, and slowly start having a spirit of cynicism. Well, those people are ruining our country. And here's what he says uh, to you if you're in this camp. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, yet on the things of man. I just want to tell you, we don't need more Peter's chopping ears off. I mean, we need more people that like Jesus pick up those ears and bring healing to people and our world at whole. Who is this Jesus? Well, if he isn't just important yet irrelevant, if he isn't harmful and oppressive, if he isn't just a means to a political end. Who is this Jesus? Here's view number four, and this is the correct view. He's the king of an upside down kingdom. Jesus is the king of an upside down kingdom. A lot of people expected Jesus uh, to overthrow Rome to climb the ladder, to have an army and take over ultimately. But he comes and he flips that on its head. He says, no, I did not come uh, to overthrow um, uh, the oppression. I came in order to atone for the sins of the world. I did not come to climb the ladder. I came to go low and to serve in humility. This is the Jesus that we see in Scripture. He asked Peter and the other disciples, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter rightly says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. But here's the thing I want you to get is that Jesus is way better than they think. Right? They're like, he came, he's the Christ, he's the long-awaited Messiah, he's the anointed king, he's been prophesied about in the Old Testament, yet he did not just come to free Israel from Roman oppression, he came to free the entire world from sin. 
He came to redeem the entire world, not just one place. He did not come to form an army. He came to atone for the sins of the world. He did not come just to make America great again or to overturn the power structures of oppression. He came in order to usher in a new kingdom that would change the entire world. Jesus says that my kingdom is not of this world. And if we get this right view of Jesus, then what we'll do is we will worship him as king and love our enemies and lay down our lives like Jesus did in order to advance his kingdom. It's not taking it by force, it's serving in love. It's humility, it's radical hospitality. What if we embodied this type of lifestyle? That we loved our enemies, that we did not chop off ears, but rather we brought healing. What if we followed Jesus' example and laid down our lives in order that other people can have life? That we viewed people that are on the opposite end of the political spectrum as, as people to love. Oh, there is coming a day where Jesus is going to come as a judge. There absolutely is yet, not yet. First, he came as a suffering servant. His question for you and I here this morning is this. Well, who do people say that I am? Well, they, they view you as oppressive sometimes. Uh, they view you as harmful to culture. or They view you as kind of important yet irrelevant. Uh, they view you to a means to a political end. And then he looks at you right now and he says, yeah, 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 but... Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Do you view him as kind of important, but pretty much irrelevant to your life? Well, he, he's king. He's Lord. He claimed he was God, right? So if his claims are true, then this view of Jesus isn't actually a view we can have. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. He's not just a good teacher. And this view actually shows that you haven't seen Jesus because when you see him clearly, you'll give him your entire life. It's not just on Sunday mornings. It isn't just a little bit of time. No, no, no. You can have my life. You are king. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you view him as harmful to culture at large? And I would just encourage you, if this is your view, to take a humble look at history. And I would offer that he's actually the greatest thing that's ever happened uh, to culture. Or do you view him as a means to a political end? Man, I get it. I get it. Yet... We don't need more Peters chopping ears off, but we need more followers of Jesus who pick up those ears and bring healing. Or is he your king? Who do you say that I am? Do you, like Peter, say you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, and what you mean by that is that you're the king 
of the upside down kingdom. You are my king. I will worship you and I will follow your example. If you have your Bible, let's flip uh, just kind of back to verse 22 in uh, the healing of uh, the blind man. This is, this is an interesting story. I'm going to close with this. Uh, but I think this is interesting because in every other occurrence where a healing happens with Jesus, it is in one part, right? He speaks to you, you get up and you walk. He, he, he touches you and, and you're healed, right? O- over and over again, it's a one part healing. Yet in this story of the blind man, it's a two-part healing, right? That ultimately has this encounter with the blind man and then he's like, uh, he heals him partially, it seems. He's like, hey, do you see anything? He's like, I see trees walking around. And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. Let me actually touch you again. And, he, and he's like, oh, I, I, I see clearly. And right after that passage is the passage that we're talking about here uh, this morning. And I think why that is, is because often that that's how we view Jesus. That as a kid, we hear about him and we kind of see him cloudy. Or as an adult, that we hear about him on the news and we kind of see him as, as cloudy. And we view him as one of those three options uh, that we talked about this morning. And, and he's cloudy. Uh, but there comes a point in time, and I, I pray, I've been praying that this would be that time for many of us is that he opens your eyes and now it's not cloudy anymore. It's not like you kind of see him like trees walking around, but rather your eyes are opened and now you see Jesus clearly. I'm going to close with uh, just this story real quick. Uh, but we're going to put a picture on the screen. And this is one of my closest friends in the world, Mr. James Hawkins. Um, he has a crazy story. He was homeless for 20 years on the streets of Texas, and uh, he was a crackhead. You know, he was one of those guys uh, that was on the corner panhandling every day. Um, he just lived this empty life. Um, and if you would have asked, Je- asked him back then, hey, who's Jesus? He could have given you the right answer. And this happened a lot. Christians would stop. They'd see him. They'd be like, hey, hop in the car for a minute or let's go get something to eat. And they'd ask him, hey, hey, do you know Jesus? And I'm sure Jimbo went, yeah. That's, that's how he talks. That's what we call him, Jimbo. But that's how he talks. He's, he's, he's a little loud. And so he, he would have said, yeah, I, of, of course I know who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. I learned about him in Sunday school, right? But if you looked at Jimbo's life, I mean, you would see that, that, that he didn't really know Jesus. Uh, But 11 years ago, he was invited uh, to come uh, to Florence, South Carolina uh, to go to treatment. Um, I met him there. Uh, Him and I connected. Um, We started going to church and uh, we started hearing about Jesus and plugging into the church. And over the course of time, his eyes were opened and he had clarity around who Jesus really was. He wasn't just an important figure, yet pretty much irrelevant uh, uh, to Jimbo's life. He, he actually became his king, his Lord. Um, and now he's been clean for almost 11 years. And um, man, he, he's just 
the happiest person I know most of the time. Just smile on his face, joyful. He has a house he's lived in for a long time. He's got a good job, right? He, his eyes were opened to who Jesus was and it wrecked his life and it changed him forever. He realized that Jesus wasn't just an important historical figure. He was the lover of his soul and the one who laid down his life in order that Jimbo could have life. And friends, I don't know where you're at this morning. You know, I don't know if you're in one of those three camps and, and, and the Holy Spirit is, is speaking to you this morning. You're like, no, I mean, I, I have clarity now. I want to I follow Jesus. I want to see him more clearly. Uh, if that's you, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you're here and you're like, hey, I'm, I'm not a Christian yet. I, I've, I've called myself that maybe yet. I've had the wrong view of Jesus. And here this morning, I want to offer my life to him because I've realized that he's king. Uh, that I know he died on a cross for my sins. I know he rose from the grave in order that I could have life. If that's you, uh, then how you place your faith in Jesus is ultimately that you turn from your sin, uh, you have a change of view on who Jesus is, and you place your trust in him. And if that's you, uh, if you want to close your eyes right now where you are and, and, and to pray this, uh, would you pray this with me? Heavenly Father, I need you to save me. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the grave. I repent of my sin and I place my trust in you. You are now my king. Please save me now. Hey, if you just prayed that and you meant it, would you let us know in order that we can keep uh, um, helping you to walk with Jesus, to keep helping you take your next steps in your walk with Jesus? Vineyard Church, I love you. I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of this family here. I mean, I just want to remind you that how we view Jesus has a profound impact on our lives. How we view Jesus has a profound impact on how others view Jesus, right? If we're like Peter chopping off ears, then it's going to be a hindrance to other people seeing Jesus clearly yet if we view Jesus as the king of an upside down kingdom and, and, and we're like, man, I'm going to love my enemies. I'm going to serve in humility. I'm going to follow Jesus's example. It will have a profound impact on how others view him. Let's go out this week and love God and love people. I love you guys. I'll see you soon. Thanks again for joining us here at the Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.